You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. So keep that open in front of you. We're going to look at a few of those details in those verses in quite a bit of detail. So it would definitely be helpful to have Bible open in front of you uh, at the, for this talk. We're doing a new series tonight, but, uh, starting a new series based on the book of Acts. And the, uh, but we're not starting at the beginning. We're starting at chapter 19. But let me give you a quick backstory. The book of Acts starts with Jesus already resurrected. So he's died, he's gone to the grave, he's come back to life three days later. And he basically, in chapter 1, heads off into the sky, leaving his disciples, his followers, to start the church. And so he said, in chapter 2, he sends them his spirit to help that happen. And amazing things happen on the day of Pentecost. And then the rest of the book is basically following some key people through some key events uh, through this story of the beginning of the church and the early years of the church. And so one of the guys who the story follows is Paul. Paul wrote sections of the New Testament. Um, uh, also, that follows Peter earlier on. Peter, who wrote the book we just finished studying in the previous weeks, our previous series. But we're going to focus on what's called Paul's third missionary journey. And so this is, his mission is to take the good news about Jesus to parts of the world that haven't heard about Jesus yet. And so he heads off and they travel very long distances and they go to different parts of the, known, the then known world and tell them about Jesus. So we're going to be looking at what happened in that journey over the coming weeks. Now as we do that, we're going to face a challenge when it comes to reading the book of Acts. And that is, how do we apply it to our own life? It's 2,000 years old. It's telling the story of true events that happened 2,000 years ago. How do we apply that in our own life? That's a challenge with this sort of book, and there's other books in the, in the Bible like it. So to, to demonstrate to you what the challenge is going to be, I've brought two books from the bookshelf at home. The first is the instruction manual for our air conditioner. So this will give you a few rules on what to do and what not to do with the air conditioner, a few do's and don'ts. And it also gives you some, a bit of guidance, a bit of wisdom on how to best use it, use it most efficiently, when to use it, all this sort of stuff. So this is a rule book, lots of instruction going on uh, in this book. I also got this book called Console Wars, which, believe it or not, is the only history book we have on our bookshelf. Um, but it tells the history of the battle between Sega and Nintendo in the 80s and 90s uh, as to who was to rise to the top of the video games industry. Uh, you could think of another history book that might track back a little bit further than the 80s, uh, but you get the point. It's a history book. It tells us about the people and the events that happened in that time regarding this issue. So, here's the temptation with the book of Acts, right? One temptation we have, and we have this with many bits of the Bible, is to just treat it like it's an instruction manual. And so when we read the stories written down in the book of Acts, we're just looking for rules all the time. And every, every verse, you know, every paragraph, we're going, oh, there's a rule here, can we sort of lock something in and, and make a big deal of it uh, for today? I'm not recommending going that far, because... The author of the book of Acts, his name is Luke, not at any point suggests the book is, like, is for that. He's saying this is about what happened. I'm just writing down what happened. 
telling you what happened. In fact, he was there for some of it because at points the book, the book actually switches into first-person mode, indicating that he was actually there seeing the events. So um, we do, it's not a rule book, right? When the, the purpose of it is not to find lots and lots of rules for today. It's more of a history book. It's telling us what happened in the early days of the church. That said, we don't want to go to the other extreme with the history side of things and go, well, all this book is, is just stuff that happened to some peasants 2,000 years ago, and we can just read it for a bit of interest and then dump it, as if it's got nothing to say to us today. Because any person who's passionate about history will tell you that the main reason to learn about, to study history, is to learn the lessons of history. And that actually, probably, a lot of the problems we have in the world today wouldn't exist if we actually learned from history and we studied history and we sort of and took on board those lessons. So does Acts have some principles and some things for us to learn to apply to our life today? Absolutely it does. So let's avoid those two extremes, okay? Let's not just plonk a rule in as quickly as we possibly can as we're reading through it. And I'd encourage you to read through the whole book in your own time if you're going to be you know, coming to St. John's regularly over this series. Um, likewise, let's not just go, oh, this is just happening 2,000 years ago, no relevance today, it's just a bit of trivia, whatever, because it does have some significant things for us to learn and to take into life today. So that's the challenge, not just for today's passage, but for any time we're preaching on a book like Acts, which is this historical account of real events. Okay, let's get into it a bit of detail. Have a look at verses 1, 2, and 3 with me. It says, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So Ephesus is modern-day Turkey, to give you an idea where he is in the world. There, he found some disciples. So these are followers, believers in God in some way. And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, it's at that comment there, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, that some people like to go, oh, could this be a rule? Could we get that in? Like, do we have to say when you believe you receive the Holy Spirit? And then, of course, your idea of what receiving the Holy Spirit is and looks like would influence that as well. But Paul's not saying this is a rule. You have to have received the Holy Spirit when you believed. But it's obviously relevant information, and he wants to know what the situation is. And so their answer is kind of... It's basically uninformed. So they say, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Right? So as far as they know, according to their knowledge, they haven't because they don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. So then Paul asks them a second question in verse 3. Then what baptism did you receive? And again, we might go, ah, oh, a rule. What they didn't do is get baptized. And if they had, they would have received the Spirit and that's the rule. Uh, but again, no, that's not a rule that's being put in here. This is just a conversation. Paul does want to know about baptism. It is important. Um, but he's just finding out more information. And their answer in verse 3 is that they received John's baptism. This is a reference to John the Baptist. You can read about him in the Bible. He is Jesus' second cousin. And he was arguably the most important religious leader in, um, in the world, certainly amongst the Jewish people, until Jesus came along. And he was big into baptism, he'd get down the river, he'd, he'd get people to come on down and the way baptism would work is you'd go into the water and uh, you would, would put your hand up and you say, I've sinned, I've done the wrong thing, I've brought evil into the world through my thoughts, my words, my actions and I regret that, I, I'm sorry for that. And so the idea of going under the water and you get fully immersed under the water is that you're spiritually washed clean 
of those things you've done wrong. And then as you come back out of the water, it indicates you're ready to live a new life, um, heading in a new direction. And John certainly had an emphasis on that that new life would be uh, in relationship with God and in step with God. So this is this baptism of repentance that was symbolized when John was doing it. It's a good thing. Um, so they'd had that, these guys that Paul's talking to had had that baptism. But then, and let's have a look at verse 4, um, Paul wants to add a bit. He feels like they haven't com- got a complete understanding of the picture yet. So he says in verse 4, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Repentance is being sorry for something you've done wrong and committing to live in a new direction. So um, he's not knocking that. He's not saying, well, that was a bad baptism. <laughs> um, but he's just saying, oh, well, that was repentance. But there's something else going on. He says, John told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And this is true. You can read that in the Bible. John said, there's someone coming after me. I'm preparing the way for him. And when he saw Jesus, he identified Jesus as that person that he was talking about. On hearing this, this is verse 5, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So obviously, they had absorbed enough of John's teaching that they realized Jesus was their guy. Um, my theory here is probably they'd, they'd received teaching from John and got baptized with John, and then before John had had a chance to point out Jesus as the guy who was coming, they might have gone back to their hometown and so missed that bit of information and not actually realized that John had found the guy. Uh, that's my theory. Anyway, the point is they're very happy to be baptized into the name of Jesus and begin that relationship with Jesus. And then in verse 6, something miraculous happens where it says, Paul placed his hands on them. So maybe this is as they're getting baptized, but it's probably um, as he's praying for them after they've been baptized. And it says, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, I'll unpack what that means in a couple of minutes. But speaking in tongues and prophesying, they're miraculous things that happen. So there's something supernatural, miraculous happening uh, in this gathering uh, just after the baptism. This is the only time that we find in the New Testament that people get baptized for a second time. And again, if you were really quick to get into the rules, you might say, ah, look at this. You need to get baptized twice. You know, once is repentance and then another one is into the name of Jesus and you get the Holy Spirit. But again, that's not a rule. And Paul's not saying that. This is just something that happened. And the difference, I think, the reason these guys got baptized twice is not because everyone needs to get baptized twice. It's because their first baptism didn't actually involve Jesus. And now that Jesus has sent his spirit into the world and the church is getting started, being baptized into the name of Jesus is a a huge part of the deal. Like, it's not a proper baptism unless it's into the name of Jesus. So this is probably uh, certainly the the best theory as to why they got baptized twice not because you have to get baptized twice um, as a generalization but it does raise some questions and maybe some of these will be going through your head it's like well how does all this fit together because we've got starting a relationship with Jesus putting your faith in Jesus we've got getting baptized we've got receiving the spirit and we've got this sort of miraculous stuff happening when the spirit arrives how does all that fit together is there rules around that is there order well we can't get it from the passage you can't look at acts chapter 9 and work that out so what you have to do in an instance like this if you want to answer those questions you need to zoom out a little bit and look at other teaching in the bible 
and see what that has to say and it can sort of complete the picture for us. So I've done that for you. Let me give you a brief summary. Faith in Jesus, beginning a relationship with Jesus, that is the moment where you receive the Spirit. Okay? Now, something miraculous may happen at the moment you become a Christian and you start that relationship with God. But maybe it won't. We've got examples in the Bible of both situations. And there's no teaching saying it has to, a miracle has to happen to show that it's legit. Okay? So, if you have a genuine faith in Jesus, then you have the spirit that Jesus sent living in you. Okay? So that's a guarantee. And um, we pick that up from, from looking at other parts of the Bible. Baptism, then, is a response to first having faith. So... Um, baptism doesn't come first it's not like you know you're half a Christian before you get baptized and then you're a complete Christian once you get baptized doesn't work that way baptism isn't some sort of lock it in you know now it's official no when you have a relationship with Jesus that's official but baptism is a natural um, awesome response to having that faith in Jesus and actually Jesus commanded us to um, get baptized when, we're fo- when we start following him. So it's not just recommended, it's like, yeah, this is something you have to do when you're a Christian, but it doesn't make, it's not the thing that makes you a Christian in the first place. Okay, what about... Oh, also, you don't have to be baptised in order to receive the Spirit because we have examples of people receiving the Spirit before they get baptised and we have people receiving the Spirit after they get baptized, like in this passage. So that order is, is, there's no rule on that. However God wants to do it, he'll work with you, uh, and it's all good. What about the miracles? You know, the miraculous stuff? When should that happen? Is there rules there? One of the phrases that the Bible uses to describe this, this is the one I find the most helpful, is this idea of being filled with the Spirit. So you might have the Spirit in you 24-7 if you're a Christian. That's definitely the case. But at times, we're filled with the Spirit. God gives us an extra dose of his power um, uh, to help us in certain situations. Uh, maybe he does something miraculous in it. In a, something happens to us or um, in us or, or around us that helps us to praise God and helps us to be in relationship with him. So uh, can you be filled with the Spirit before you get baptized? Yes. Can you be filled with the Spirit after you get baptized? Yes. Can you be filled with the Spirit at the moment you become a Christian? Yes. Can you be filled with the Spirit before you become a Christian? Yeah. It looks like you can. Like often people get filled with the Spirit and that is the moment that helps them really start that relationship with Jesus. So there's no big rule in being filled with the Spirit. And then the teaching is that you can go on being filled with the Spirit. So even if you've been a Christian for ages, it's still something that we should be asking God for. So if you want a summary of the rules around all this sort of stuff, here we go. Faith in Jesus is great. Baptism is great. Being filled with the Spirit is great. There's your rules for you. You're welcome. Let's not get more pedantic than that because the Bible doesn't require us to go into more detail than that. Okay, let's keep going. Having a look at this idea of these guys speaking in tongues and prophesying. These are supernatural things that happen. So by that I mean... uh, You can't do anything to make these things happen except ask God to make them happen. Does that make sense? So if you want to speak in tongues or prophesy, and we'll talk about what that is in a moment, you can't do anything to make it happen. You can't. 
because it's supernatural, it's miraculous, it's up to God. You can't ask God to make them happen. That's the, that's the most proactive we can be. Now, in this situation, in verse 6, it seems like the Holy Spirit is the, the instigator. He starts this off. He's the cause of these people speaking in tongues and prophesying. But let's talk about what they actually are. There'll be a wide variety of experience on these two things. Some of you will have lots of experience and knowledge about it. Some of you will have very limited, perhaps even this is the first time you've heard. I went to church for 19 years and, and then I was like, I heard about tongues. I was like, what? What's that? You know, um, so uh, it just depends on, on the discussions you've been in over the years and the talks you've heard and so on. So tongues is an unlearned language. Hands up who learned a language at school. Yeah. Okay, so that's sort of like the academic way to learn a language where you get taught by a teacher and they might give you a textbook to work through or sing along with the songs that teach you the language or whatever. Um, uh, also, you can learn a language just by being in a culture that's speaking the language. You, know, you just pick it up, practicing conversation and listening to people and so on. Tongues is not like that. Tongues is full, fluent language given to you by God on the spot. Bang, you've got it. got every word you need to speak it. There's two types of tongues in the Bible. Again, we don't get this teaching from Acts chapter 19 because it's just sort of a summary of what happened. So if we want to understand more deep, tongues more deeply, we have to zoom out again. Two sorts of tongues, public and private. Public is meant to be heard by other people, either because someone can interpret it and they've got the gift of interpretation, which is another miraculous gift, or because the person speaking is actually speaking in a language that is spoken by somebody else present. If you want an example of this, read Acts chapter 2, where a bunch of Jewish people start praying in tongues, and all these people who have travelled from other parts of the world can understand them and can hear them praising God in their own mother tongue. Right? These guys didn't know that language, they hadn't learnt it. God just gave them the ability to praise God in that language, and it's encouraging to the people who were in that public area. But also, it seems like tongues are a private thing. You get the gift of tongues, um, and so you can use that just you know, for yourself or in a small group of people. It's not designed to be done up the front at church or on a microphone or you know, getting, showing off or anything like that. Um, everywhere where, the, where tongues is preached on um, in the Bible, it's, it's sort of a, a prayer language. It helps us to praise God, helps us in relationship with God. Uh, and it's always referred to as a good thing. There's some restrictions around it as far as using it in an orderly way and don't use your... Particularly, it's about not using the private tongues publicly because basically the Bible says you'll come across as drunk or crazy if you do that, so don't do that, it's weird. Um, but overall, it's a good thing and the Bible even says, um, Paul even um, writes that he hopes everyone would speak in tongues. So, very positive rap in the Bible. Personally, um, I have prayed in tongues three times in my life. Technically, it's spoken in tongues twice and sung in tongues once. I would not say I have the gift of tongues because I can't just do it. I couldn't pray, pray in tongues right now if I wanted to. But I know people, including people in this room, uh, who can, who can pray in tongues pretty much any time they like. Um, and so we would refer to them as having the gift of tongues. If this is really new to you and you're like, it's a bit weird or it's a bit strange or um, I just got no concept of what this would be like, here's what you could do. Find a Christian friend who has the gift of tongues and respectfully ask if they could pray for you in tongues in a private setting, you know, just two or three people. Um, they may say no because 
if it's intensely private for them, they may not be ready to sort of take it beyond themselves. But if they're up for it, then I think it's a really great way to take a lot of the weirdness out of it. Like, you know, it just sort of takes the heat out of the air. Where if you, because if you've got that existing relationship, you already know and you trust them. It's a much more relaxed and natural way to experience it than YouTubing speaking in tongues, you know, and sort of finding some crazy dude on the other side of the world who, who's doing it into a microphone. Um, so that, that, that would be a little tip for, um, for me, and it can, can really help you sort of see how natural it can be, even though it is supernatural at the same time. Reminder, there's nothing you can do to make this happen. Okay, so not everyone speaks in tongues. Um, it would be great if we all did, but not everyone does. The best we can do is to ask God to do it and to give us that gift. What about prophecy? Well, prophecy is God's word for God's people. In popular fiction, and I know lots of people here are into popular fiction, fantasy and sci-fi and so on, often prophecy is about predicting the future and going, this is what the future is going to be like and this is going to go wrong and this is going to go right and this is what the weather is going to be like in the future or whatever. Um, and all sorts of predictions get made uh, you know, in the name of prophecy. Now, some prophecy in the Bible, from the Bible's point of view, is future-based, but most of it is actually present. So most of the prophecy that we would have going on today would be for 2018. So let's change the slide, Joel, just so that we're sort of mostly grounded in the present because most prophecy is actually speaking to where people are at at the time that they hear the prophecy. So again, we're not given a lot of details here as to what the prophecy is about. I've got a hunch about what it might be like, but I can't be really certain on that. I th possibly... The prophecy was about what happens next in the story, which is where the good news about Jesus spreads across the entire city and the entire region at quite a great pace. So that by the time we get to um, verse 10, it says everyone in the region has heard about the Lord Jesus. Right. So potentially there was prophecy there that this is going to happen and God's really going to bless this. But, but that's just a hunch. And you just got to leave it as a hunch because the text itself doesn't actually give us that information. Anyway... Um, we're not given a lot of details as to how it worked there, so let me give you a personal example of how um, I've experienced this working for myself. So I got in this prayer meeting once, and I can tell you the full story another time. Some of you have heard it. But I got a prayer meeting with someone who's now a friend, then was an acquaintance, um, in a fairly random situation, but it got very intense very quickly. I experienced being filled with the Spirit while this prayer was going on in a very powerful way, and he was praying for me, and now sometimes when you tell these stories about miraculous things happening, just a little time out here, it, it, makes it makes it sound like if you're in the story that like you're somehow super spiritual and that like this happens to me because I was really focused on Jesus or whatever. But I was like super ragged as a Christian. Like this was on a camp. I was leading on the camp. To be honest, if I was running the camp, I don't think I would have invited me. Like, I, like yeah, so I'm at that level. Like, I was like, oh, he's just snuck onto the leadership team. We'll have to keep an eye on him. Like, you know, I was, I was not like in a really sort of well-established position um, here. And I was not confident about Christianity at all. Um, I was very insecure and unsure about it. And so this guy, as he's praying for me, and it went on for quite a while, he just lays out all my insecurities and all my doubts and all these questions and issues that I had like in quite a lot of detail and like a perceptive person might have been able to pick up on a couple of these things but like not all of it like just sort of 
you know, the grand final just happened, 100,000 people. Now picture yourself just standing naked in the center circle, right? There's nowhere to hide. It was just like, this guy's exposing everything that's been going on deep inside. Um, but within that, the message was always about God's love in those situations and God's encouragement in those situations. So it was a very encouraging time, arguably the most important prayer session I've ever been in. So I would say that he was speaking prophetically in that prayer, that he was speaking God's words into my life in a way that was helping me in my relationship with Jesus. And it definitely did that. And since then, I've just attempted to do the same thing for other people. So when I've been praying for people, sometimes I just ask, God, is there anything you want me to say um, for this person or pray for this person? And sometimes I'll throw in something that seems a bit random, a bit weird. It's like, oh, really? I'll pray for that? Okay, I'll chuck it in. And they'll go, wow, how did you know to pray about that? That was incredible. It's like, well, maybe God's giving me a prophetic word there and, and maybe I was prophesying in a, in a way during that prayer. That's just an example from my life. Um, again, we can't do anything to make this happen except ask God to make it happen. Um, I'm not a special person because I received prophecy. I'm not a special person because maybe I've been able to do it a few times. Uh, it's all the gift of God and it's all his generosity and his choice. So these guys receive these two good things. They get to speak in tongues and they prophesy. And this seems to be a great encouragement to their group. And it seems to be the catalyst for this whole explosion of Christianity in that part of the world. So how do we apply this? What sort of practical application can we sort of wrap up with here with today's talk? Well, I've noticed, and possibly you'll be in this category yourself, that some people limit Christianity to a moral code. So it's all about not doing wrong things and doing good things. And I don't want to knock that because the more people who seek to live like that in the world, the better the world will be, right? So I'm all for not doing evil and doing good. That's great. But I would also say if that's the limit, if you just think about Christianity as only that, just a way to live, I think you're missing out on some of the great benefits of being a Christian. And I would encourage you to seek Jesus and to seek relationship with Jesus and I would encourage you to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that'll just, you still have the, the, the good, bad stuff going, going right, but you'll just have so much more benefit to being a Christian, and your life will be much fuller, um, and you'll be able to take on the challenges of life in, in ways that you wouldn't be able to if it's just a moral code. So I encourage you, if you are one of those people who limits it to morals, to go further and to go deeper. Likewise, if you're talking to friends who have that attitude about Christianity, um, tell them about Jesus, tell them about the Spirit so that they can understand there's more going on than just that. The other application I would make is to say, well, it did seem to go well here, right? And the good news spread quickly. They did a lot of evangelism. People shared their faith a lot, obviously, uh, in the time after this happened. And this happens over and over and over again with Acts where people experience being filled with the Spirit and then they're very confident in sharing their faith. And I know not everyone here is confident in sharing their faith. Some of you find it nerve-wracking, difficult, complicated. Um, uh, some of you just don't even do it. And so, again, I would encourage you to seek Jesus, who loves you unconditionally, and we'll have an opportunity to celebrate communion later in the service. We're reminded of Jesus' absolute, total love for us. Um, and also to seek the feeling of the Spirit, so that God himself can give you the confidence you need to go and share your faith. 
And certainly, again, that's been my experience, the experience of many Christians I know, that that feeling of the Spirit helps us to be bolder in the way we speak to people about Jesus. That said, we also look at this and go, but we don't want to make a rule that if you're filled with the Spirit, everyone you talk to is just going to become a Christian straight away because there's a group of people who are described as obstinate there. So they're resistant, they're stubborn, they're not interested. And eventually, they kind of have to take a time out from speaking to them. It's like... All right, you guys just really aren't interested. We'll go and talk to these guys who are interested. Maybe we'll get back to you later, but we'll sort of focus on the people who are showing interest. So being filled with the Spirit and seeking Jesus is not like going to make you super at sharing your faith automatically. Um, That's not a rule that we want to bring in, but it does seem to be the case that throughout Acts, it's really helpful in sharing your faith. We have a mission at our church to uh, know Jesus and to make Jesus known. So we've got an inward and an outward focus. Plus we have this value of sharing Jesus. Plus here at Sunday at 6, we're hoping to increase our attendance to an average 100 by this time next year. Now none of that is going to happen just with our own efforts. Like the, the way to achieve this vision by 2022 is not to just try harder. It's often what we do. It's like, just if we all just tried harder. I mean, yeah, we can try harder in a few areas. I'm sure that could help every now and then. But the way we will succeed in this is to put our trust in Jesus and to be filled with his spirit. That's what we need to be asking for. And so I want to just want to finish with a prayer about that. So please pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you demonstrated that on the cross. Uh, as you died to take away our sin. Thank you that you demonstrated it when you rose again, um, removing our guilt. Thank you that you demonstrated it again when you sent your spirit into the world to live in everyone who has faith in you and to fill us at times of need. We pray for more of that in our lives. We look at this passage, Lord, and we just want to see more people come in to, um, to know Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus. We ask for more filling of your spirit. We ask for more gifts of your spirit. And we ask this so that we can know your love more deeply and so that we can share it more effectively with the people around us. Please use the remainder of our time together in this service to open us to the possibilities you have in our lives, both as individuals and as a church. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.